clubhouse. Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of the second episode of the sixth and final season of NBC's This Is Us. This episode is probably called Lovebirds. Maybe Yellow Brick Road. Not sure because IMDb has one thing and our screeners have the other. This is Paul. This is Caroline. I think Lovebirds makes a lot more sense than does the Yellow Brick Road. I think so too. I mean, although I think that there was a lot of conversation about the journey, right? And so I think that's the Gilbert Road for me. Yeah. As we've mentioned, we watch screeners. Yes. And sometimes they have music cues and things that are different when they go final. So if they would lay in, a, I'm not thinking of, you know, the, the movie version, but maybe some other musical cues or something that layers in some of that Yellow Brick Road imagery that builds in your mind, then it might make more sense. But as it is, Lovebirds <laughs> makes more sense with what we got to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And we do want to give a little caveat that because we do watch screeners, we are missing a scene at the very end with Nikki and Edie speaking with Rebecca. Um, And so we are unsure exactly how this episode ends, which sounds a little silly, but we wanted to make sure to get our coverage out for you guys. And um, as always, you know, if screeners get changed up, like Paul said, they might change music. They sometimes cut in other scenes. They have even changed dialogue on us from when we have seen it to when it actually gets out for you guys. So please excuse any uh, differences in our coverage versus what you guys see. It's just because our screeners are different. Right. So in this one, Deja gets pregnant, right? Shut up. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Maybe so. We don't know, but... But we definitely definitely make some strides with Malik. (laughs) Why don't we start with young Deja and her field trip to Boston? Yes. So she was going to go hang out with Malik seemingly for the very first time. He is at Harvard and he is out there, remember, with Jennifer, is also in the same town. They're not like together or anything like that, but uh, they are sharing custody of their child, Janelle. And Janelle has grown up so much, Paul, I didn't even recognize her when she came running at Deja when she got off the bus. That's TV for you. Kids, they just sprout right up. Growing up so quickly. Gosh, when Malik was holding her, she, he was like the length of her whole bob, his whole body. Well, Malik's a like, tiny person, too. They are. They are both tiny. But so what did you think about this apartment life for Malik and, and his, you know, clearly being overwhelmed with the responsibilities of being a dad? He has to now juggle being a co-parent, which he really wasn't dealing with before. He was a single parent, but not a co-parent. Yeah. Um, and then also school. This is big. Well, my first thought, of course, is how could he have this apartment that I think, well... Back, even back in the dark ages, when I went to school, we went to school, they had campus married housing. And that was very rare, but it did exist. So I imagine as you go more modern and you run into more cases of incoming students having more complicated situations than just them being them by themselves, the idea of single parent housing being available through the school isn't just impossible to think of. So I'm going to go with that. I mean, I just thought it was an apartment, but clearly it was a struggle to make ends meet. I mean, when everything was a struggle, Jennifer was like, you know, just sweeping the fridge of food, which didn't have much in there to begin with. Clearly it was a problem. It was, it was going to strap him for cash for sure. They did everything they could to make us think what we were supposed to think all along about Jennifer. We're not ever supposed to like Jennifer or consider her point of view. 
She's not us. On this. <laughs> this is us. Well, here's the thing. I feel like, you know, you and I have known many divorced parents and the exasperation, regardless of if we know the dad or the mom in the situation, they always seem forever exasperated with the other co-parent. Jennifer's exasperation that Malik is late, that she, he doesn't have her ready to go to dinner, the bag isn't packed, all that stuff. Pff, that seemed like every mother I've heard. And then Malik's, you know, exasperation that she cleared the fridge. She takes the kid. She's not being very nice to Deja, who hasn't done anything. I've heard that side of the story, you know, where they're like, you know, why can't they be cooler? So I don't know, even though they're young, I think they were actually pretty representative of what co-parenting, because they're, they're not divorced because they were never married, but you know, what co-parenting looks like, the, the just sheer frustration of having to make two different schedules seamlessly come together. It seems like it, it never does. You know, someone's always put out. The idea of the schedule and holding Malik accountable for being late, that's also seemed extra bitchy to me. I think we're just to assume that he went to the bus station and brought her right back. That was always the plan. Unless there was like something he couldn't account for, like traffic or something like that, which Boston is known to have. Sure. How is this just so unforgivably late? Or is this just extra bitchiness on her part? I see, I'm not even to go to all those things. I, I am. Mean, she was taking Janelle to a dinner with her parents. She was supposed to be dressed to go to do that. So even if Malik was coming back directly on time, the kid wasn't dressed and didn't have the bag packed and didn't have everything ready to go. So, I mean, in theory, this was still going to take extra time. I'm with you that, I mean, like the bus was coming when the bus was coming. This kind of scenario sniffed of a time when we didn't have cell phones or right. very good communication. Like yeah. this is the type of arguing you would have. Nor, I mean, a normal, regular situation these days, you would be texting consistently. Like the bus is at 3.30, we hit traffic, I'll be there at 4.15, you know, whatever the thing is. So I, I agree with you that there was some sort of like kind of manufactured tension there that like I don't really think would happen. I think they would have been communicating. Agreed. Even if quote unquote late was completely unavoidable. And, and the part of the plan was always to pick up Deja. That was never not the plan today. No idea. I mean, me and you are just assuming that that was the whole thing that Jennifer knew and that Jennifer knew all the things. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what Malik told her. Jennifer did seem very put out by every aspect of Malik's situation. When he said he got kind of, he implied that he got pushed back on his schedule because he was working on his paper. She kind of scoffed. Like it seemed like, even doing schoolwork was not acceptable for, for any type of, you know, timing change or something like that. So Jennifer does not respect Malik or what Malik is doing. And who knows, you know, maybe he is consistently messing up whatever their agreed upon plans are because of school. And that's fair. And, you know, Jennifer clearly, you know, I mean, she treated Deja okay, just okay. But she was 100% laser eyes. <laughs> Malik for not, you know, because guess what? Shit rolls downhill. So if she's late dealing with Malik, then she's got to go to dinner and now be late to her parents with a kid wearing the dress she didn't want her to be wearing, the dress that the, that the parents are not the favorite dress. So she's going to get yelled at. So you can just see how it just was all a bunch of like, ah, biting at each other, you know? And Deja should have, if it was me, I would have sunk back into the wall a little bit more. I wouldn't have made myself like right in the middle of the living room. I would have either like sat down on the couch or just kind of scooted way to the side so that they can do their they're frantic racing around without me sort of getting that kind of side-eyed, snotty look. You know, come to think of it, that dinner that Malik had at Randall's house where he needed to leave the table and 
and go take care of the baby and stuff like that. That was a much younger baby than than this one getting up and running across the... Oh, yeah. That kid was like three going on four kind of thing. Yeah, no, for sure. And it was like, it was a way littler guy. I want to say he was like a junior when they met. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And the baby was born. So I guess if he's starting his freshman year, she could be three, I suppose. I suppose that would be okay. She just looks so much bigger. It was just such a huge transformation since we hadn't seen her in so long. All right. So we got the whole point of this. This was to meet Jennifer and... They, they took a huge step in their relationship here, right? We're, That's we're a very grown up way to put it. We're yes. definitely moving from like a, like a childhood crushy kind of going out kind of thing to definitely a more adult. They made a big deal out of her wearing a much more grown-up dress, you know, feeling like she was a grown woman. This is, you know, Deja's story has been a, a coming-of-age story a lot for the, for the majority of this whole thing, trying to figure out her way in the world. And now she's finally, you know, becoming more of an adult. I think they did a pretty good job of how this would have gone down. Malik looked exhausted, <laughs> which I feel like it would be so hard to have kept up with a baby and co-parent and Harvard. I I mean, geez, this would have been hard. With so much to go on in this coming season, Deja being not the big three, <laughs> how much payoff can we really expect? Well, that's where you made the joke at the very beginning about Deja being pregnant and you just made that joke. But you've got to think that there's got to be some reason to show us this some reason like what what impact does this have on the storyline now i know that they typically layer in a current storyline some sort of past storyline and we're supposed to get this like feel of you know patterns right and they said young love right that's what the woman on the bus says young love you know it's it changes you and so i think we were supposed to be getting deja was representative of this young love happening right here okay then we have nikki and sally's story line that's obviously talking about un, you know unrequited love and and that young love and how, what happened there even Eric and Sally's storyline young love what happened there on the flashback stories flashback story though was I thought for moving away from Daisha and Malik here I was a little confused about the Jack and Rebecca storyline it seemed so thin I was like waiting for the end of our screener like dude was there additional scenes because I just assumed it was going to be the first time they had sex that's what I thought we were doing because that's what happened with Deja and Malik assumingly so it's not even clear where on the timeline we are um, with them because this is the point where Jack is is okay he's got a job because this is his boss's car right I don't know that they're married yet which is why the comment about this will be my midlife crisis car just kind of plan for it uh notice would would be extra funny right and sweet because yeah. if you weren't married yet you know it's like yuck 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 you know right, right? right, right. um sweet. yeah that's the period that i that i think so this is still very young love in their yeah. cycle maybe a little bit i guess i'm gonna go with some theme of like aging and youth versus you know wisdom or looking back on your youth kind of thing and so we're just getting this snapshot of Rebecca and Jack at this youthful time when they feel immortal when they're literally feeling wind in their hair they've got this convertible you know nothing but exciting things to look forward to that's really what I got from their flashback was there something more there that you saw no I mean I thought we were having sex in the back of this convertible on the cliff so 
So, I mean, I thought more was happening, but I don't I don't know if they just didn't go there. Or I don't know if they will go there when this airs. I'm not sure. It pairs nicely, but in terms of like interweaving thematically yeah, in that very strong, perfect. super way that we usually expect, it's not that. I mean, we have mentions of hair. Hair comes back later at the awkward dinner. <laughs> true. That's true. It actually comes back a couple of times. I mean, you know, I, I think I'm going with maybe the fresh excitement of young love versus the comfort or I guess the potential of like old familiar love. So you could have like Miguel who's saying, I will stay by your side. I said sickness or in health. I'm here for you. We took this journey together kind of thing versus Eric. You know, he was so in love with her. They have sex every day. Everything's so crazy with Sally to like, she just makes dinner for the whole week because she doesn't even know when he's going to be hungry or see him. So you kind of see that peter out, you know, on that side. Mm -hmm. And then you have Nikki, you know, with this love in his heart that, you know, I was really surprised how that all played out. But let's tease that one out a little bit more. The Sally Nikki story. Were you surprised that? Well, I've got one more for you, though. Oh, no, go please. The comparison that Nikki had the unrequited love and late and ended up waiting to find out it, it didn't turn out the way he'd hoped for himself anyway. But then compared to Malik and Deja, Deja seizes the day. Right or wrong, a contrast in, in approaches. And we don't know how that's going to wind up for her. Very true. At least she made the jump. Nikki's response to the whole thing, as much as, as it would be easy to say it didn't work out, I will challenge that at the beginning of this and, and kind of talk it through with you and see, like, maybe it did. So let's talk about Nikki and Sally and, gosh, how long he's been pining for this woman. 50 years? Holy cow. You know, did you expect him and Miguel and Rebecca's road trip to be as sort of revealing in terms of the fact that like he didn't know anything about this person on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, it was both funny and heartbreaking at the same time. It's funny because, you know, you could put yourself in Miguel and Rebecca's shoes. We've been, you know, nursing Nikki along with <laughs> this whole time and the frustration and the what are we doing here Nick <laughs> kind of feeling you know what but uh, but at the same time I feel like at different points they kind of resigned to the yellow brick road of it all that they were just on this weirdo adventure I mean every time they just rolled their eyes at Nikki like good lord I mean honestly Sally Brooks is is it's not John Smith but it's not that unique to just go based on a couple of animal pictures I mean ay 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 I mean the chances that this was the right woman, ooh, I don't know. All I could do as Rebecca and Miguel is just be like, man, we're just going to have snacks and take a drive. <laughs> like, we don't know <laughs> where we're going to end up. This could be nothing, but at least we will have closed the book a little bit, kind of no matter who's there. At least he'll know, well, that's not her, you know? Yeah. We'll get some amount of closure out of this. It was a now or never day for them. What did you think about the camera antique store scene? That scene played up how frustrating it must be to both deal with Nikki and be Nikki. Having that level of self-doubt and anxiety factoring into everything that you do. Unclear to me if Nikki has financial problems or not because the $90 seemed like he could not afford that to me like he looked like he gulped like I can't do that but at the same time I mean I have to think he gets some amount of VA check or something right or, or social security or something he's been alone for a long time since Vietnam 50 years he might have been if he came out on disability could he be getting a disability check that whole time and if he owned his camper which right, let's I'm assume he did he has 
a bank account. But I mean, we don't. And he's know just how paying much... the taxes on undeveloped land. We don't know how much he drank away. We have no idea, yeah. you know, what he spent that way. But the ninety dollars to me seemed to throw him like he couldn't afford it. Well, and I think maybe that idea of sticker shock that people who lived through the first time a product came around and saw. I remember this thing. It was like ten dollars. This thing, or yeah. yeah. I mean, at the time, ten dollars was a lot, but it was only ten. Right, right. <laughs> and here it is. Like you see that with cars all the time. Oh no, agree. I was just reading a bunch of articles about that. Like you know, a new car now is like starts at thirty thousand. Like what? <laughs> like percentage of people's income? That's insane. You know. Right. So yeah, no, I'm with you. Like this is craziness. But I don't know. There was something about his recoil. I don't know if he was just, again just so anxiety ridden about who Sally was and that he was so ill prepared or looking for an excuse to right. <laughs> Maybe that was all it was. I'm very thankful, but I think it was also predictable that Rebecca and Miguel were going to be like we're going to just pay for this. Like, there's no way we're not going to just buy this camera. So I'm happy they did. I mean, I think it was a cute present, you know, that's a, that's a nice gift to bring to somebody, some, some little tiny token of their personality of the past. And that was a Polaroid and they, they took, Polaroids later. I know. And it was like, it was smart of Rebecca to say, throw in some film, right? Like yeah. that was cool because honestly, that's the kind of thing you could put on yourself and never get the film and it just doesn't do anything. So well, that was cool. And that kind of camera being so old, the, yeah. the film is not, not easy to come <laughs> right, by. You have it, please. Yeah. So, all right. So then we move on. Were you surprised that it was the real Sally? Did you think it was going to be a miss? Oh, for a second there, <laughs> I was definitely like, oh, shit. <laughs> This is all for nothing. Oh, my God. Uh, Okay, so it's the right Sally, but she clearly, throughout this conversation, reveals she don't remember Nikki. I mean, she's being nice about stuff, but he did not make the impact on her, it seems. Yeah, and Nikki realizes that as as the dinner goes, and Mm -hmm. and he has the details of what she was wearing and... Mm how she smelled and everything just laser etched into his brain that in a way that means this was a big deal to him, obviously. Right. And she, upon hearing it, I don't know if she's acting or not, but she seemed to remember once, once it was retold to her. I would like to think, I mean, it seemed like little bits and pieces she seemed to remember. I mean, obviously once Eric, the husband enters the scene, I mean, even the music gets like, dun, 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 in the background, like, oh crap, you know, she's not single, she's not available, but, you know, we get this reveal that she's very unhappy and her her husband are not actually doing well at all. It seemed like there is a little chance. You know, what's weird is that Eric wasn't actually a dick per se. You know, he wasn't super warm and fuzzy, but he didn't throw them out either or or anything too bizarre, too mean-spirited. But the way that they introduced him when the camera pulls up to him, and he said something to the effect of like, what's all this? Or who's this? Or what's going on? Or something something like that. But then they showed him his mouth was slightly open and you could just see like a row of teeth. <laughs> And something about that just just read as jackass to me, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, well, for one thing, we're set up like the idea of a husband existing is like instant ruining right. for, for Nikki. So, of course, we're like, what? How dare you exist, Eric? Was well, that row of teeth, though? It really <laughs> messed me up. There was. 
I mean, he did have an air about him that definitely seemed annoyed, which my goodness, though, I mean, they're all supposed to be in their late 60s, what, like early mid 70s, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely like a grumpy old man kind of vibe going down, you know, which we get. I mean, if he after we get the story that he basically sits in his office and watches TV all day, whatever, then, you know, I mean, he is one of those guys laying on the recliner watching TV. So he what does he want with dinner guests? You know, this is quite unwelcome. Exactly. But Sally Wise, when she retreats into her area, whatever, where she has the corkboard of memories, which to me seemed a little haphazard. Do you think maybe she just like stuck that together right then or what? Or that? What are you talking about? I'm just about? saying. No, I don't think she stuck well, that together right then. In fact, I don't think she had looked at it in a long time, which was kind of the point. She hadn't even looked at that board to realize that that picture was of Nikki, much less she had not looked at that board to even remind herself of what she looked like. Like there was a whole like not recognizing yourself anymore. And I, I, I appreciated mm. this opportunity for a conversation for Rebecca with a peer who is also a woman, because in all honesty, we have not had that. I mean, she had one conversation so long ago with Felicia Rashad playing Beth's mom back in the college. You remember all that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was like a thousand years ago. And that was like one of the only other times she talked to another woman. You know, other than that, I mean, she really has to work off of Nikki and Miguel and the kids. And that's about it. It was refreshing, all the conversation revolving around Sally making the offhanded remark about Alzheimer's. This moment of confession from each person saying like these small things that they still completely wrap their brain around and worry about that you would have thought at this age they would have been done with this stuff, but they just still persist, you know? I thought that was all conversation that you don't hear very often on a television show. And the thing is that I found it very relatable. You know, my my grandma is 94 and 95. And the things that she worries about make everyone scratch their head. Like, you think of the darndest things, grandma. But it's always those kinds of things. Like, what about the garbage? What about, for us at Christmas time, what about who's baking the Boston brown bread? Like, there's going to be audience members who I really think are going to have enjoyed this conversation. An elder statesman conversation amongst people who are experiencing life later than our core group normally is is having the you know the meat of the storyline and they were really getting to talk about stuff whether you continue to dye your hair being self-conscious about your wrinkles going to dance class and feeling like the younger women are looking at you these are all things that I think are extremely realistic you know nobody listens to the women of this age group you know there's not a lot of things out there maybe our Grace and Frankie episodes <laughs> that that's all you get that kind of stuff but that's who they're talking to I think in this in the majority of this episode do you suppose that Rebecca consciously decides to stop dyeing her hair at a certain point or is it just like elder care with a memory problem that's like how many personal things do we keep that's, up that's a good question because I mean they obviously bring it up with this yeah with this friend Bernadette that's the only reason I bring it up right with this idea of like that how freeing it is to stop trying to cover up your age I mean, this topic got brought up with the reboot of Sex in the City, how people were being really harsh to the actresses playing those roles and their age and what they did or didn't do, whether they colored their hair or whether they used, you know, lip filler or 
whether they had wrinkles or whatever, people are being very harsh. And the response to the actresses were like, it's like you didn't want us to age. And you're like somehow saying like, y'all are older, shame on you. <laughs> it's like, it's been a long time. It's been like 20 years, you know? Yeah, we're 20 years older. And well, and they don't call it sex in the city anymore. So the idea of them being the same women they were in that show, if you didn't clue in to the title, <laughs> they're obviously in another stage of their life. Yeah, very true. I mean, although I, I think sex in the city is still going to be, you know, a big part of it. The conversations that those women are having, whether or not to dye your hair, whether or not to try to try to kind of like hang with the trends and do that kind of stuff versus just being yourself and being comfortable in your own skin and stop trying to keep up with that kind of stuff. I think that there's a lot more TV shows, I hope, that come out that allow some of this dialogue because I think there's a lot of TV watchers out there who want to watch it, who want to talk about what it's like to be this age group. A lot of women, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 year old women feel like they become practically invisible in society. You know, you have like Kevin Costner's and whatnot, who everybody's all still drooling over, but you have very few women who are the correlating age group that you don't look at as just a grandma. It's true. Rebecca's decision to go back to dancing was a decisive choice to be like, I'm not dead yet. You know, and I don't care if you guys are going to point at me that I'm an older woman doing this. Screw you. You know, I was a younger woman once, too. And you'll be old if you're lucky someday, too. So, like, to stop hiding and to, and to like, really enjoy life. So you feel proud of Rebecca? I feel happy that they gave her this opportunity to have a contemporary peer. Like, we just don't have that. Is it something that you would have wished she could have found earlier before this kind of end of life phase for her? Or is it something it couldn't have happened earlier? She had to earn her way to it. In a way, I think that she would not have been so open that having this disease has given her a real sense of a ticking time clock, that she doesn't have time to put up, you know, facades anymore. Like she's willing to just be honest. And so I don't think she would have had a frank conversation with a woman she had just met had she not had this feeling of like, who cares? You know, just friggin' say it, you know, like the whole like, Nikki, let's just go. You're giving me a freaking headache. I think she's just done waiting, done kind of sitting back. What did you think about the conversation that she had with Miguel about that he wasn't getting the best version of her? He was getting these sort of like classic car seconds. That's a awkward opener, I guess, in terms of maybe thinking about your physical beauty probably that or maybe your energy or maybe the fact that you're you are on this one-way train with your with your memory situation that discounts the idea that Miguel was there for this too he signed up no one twisted his arm he liked you too he's here for this and he's still all in um despite whatever we've seen in the flash forward uh, maybe he's just out for ice I don't I don't know you know what I mean? How we haven't seen him yet in the flash forward. Jack got the sexy stripper version of Rebecca. Jack got the singing on stage Rebecca. Jack got the wind in her hair, you know, singing and dancing and all this stuff. And and that's the wife that he had. Even really, and, and to be fair, you know, there was a lot that they went through. I mean, even even I forget, like, you know, you know the, the struggles along the way, you know? It's easy to forget as a viewer because most of the time it seemed like, 
you know, they're all goo-goo-eyed lovebirds at each other. You're right. Miguel and Rebecca have their own love story and he has loved her alongside of her. I guess there is something though too, like, so we have friends that got married recently and they're older. You know, one of them found out almost instantaneously that they have cancer. Ah, isn't there like a little feeling of like, whoa, you didn't get like the healthy, long life version of this person. You got this part, you know, you got the part where the sickness and health, you got the sickness portion, you know, now you have to do this. And it's just a different portion of your life. But it's like the partner you share it with. I felt for her when she said, I'm sorry that you're about to go through this huge ordeal. Like she wasn't feeling sorry for herself anymore. She was actually feeling for Miguel. What a weird conversation. I hate to overuse the word weird on a podcast because it means so many you things. You super hate it when I use it. <laughs> well, and also interesting. Interesting is also overused. But she and he had stuff. They had their lives going on. He had his first wife. He had his kids. She had Jack. She had their kids. What is this conversation supposed to mean? Like, are we supposed to suppose that if you could, you would just trade in that period of time just so that we could be together earlier? I don't think so. Because he treasures Jack too. No, no, it doesn't have to do with Jack to me. It has to do with you want to think that there's been so many good times and so many healthy years and so many happy, silly, fun memories that by the time you get to the point of I need someone to take care of me, you know, I I need you to be the sickness part of the sickness and in health caretaker that you kind of can balance the years and years, the decades, hopefully, of the good times to kind of make it feel like there's some amount of okay. dues paid. But if you get that person a year or five years or whatever before the sickness kicks in, did you ever get the good part, you know, to kind of balance it out? And I think Miguel's love for her, like you said, to your point, he loves her and he's I, he's saying I had the good parts. You know, I, I love you and I'm happy to be here. But you can see her regret not to have had more good times sort of invested in them. He had to get the one that was the broken widow. He, he didn't get the happy-go-lucky. So far as we've seen, he was happy to get her however. Very true. Why probe any further than that? Oh, you... I no, if you're Miguel, why would you? Why If you were Miguel, why... Or if you're Rebecca, why would you? I mean, it's he's happy. He's He knows it's going to be tough. And that's very brave words when you're at the beginning of this sort of thing. But let's take him at his word that he says he's ready. Do you think anyone could be ready for no. such a thing? Having been the guy who's at the beginning of a of a lifelong change in healthcare and caretaking and all that kind of stuff and having brave words and thinking that you know it's going to come and even kind of locking it in your brain and then being there years later and it's it's harder than you thought. Yeah, no one knows, but I'm glad at least he has the right starting attitude. Me too. And I, I mean, I think that he's a huge blessing to have come into her life the way that he did. And obviously there was huge respect around the table when they were all discussing Jack. I mean, one of the interesting things about talking about, you know, immortality, Jack was just as much a part of that meal, it seemed. You know, there was there was so much talk about him and and how he brought together Miguel and Rebecca and, you know, the role he played for Nikki. Like it all seemed like Jack really has this immortality, you know. Which even Sally remembered him to a small extent. I know, which is kind of crazy given that yeah. he didn't even remember Nikki. He kind of solidified his little mark on the world. But I mean, I respected what Rebecca was saying and I really felt like they hit it home 
when she said, I wonder what my last memory will be. Oof. That hit my heart, like to feel like, you know, we all sort of worry about, of course, we all worry about death and like our last moments, but to know you're likely still going to be alive, but you no longer can think or remember things at all. Oof. I mean, I thought that was really heavy. How did you feel about her expressing that? My primary fear of growing older is not some physical ailment that takes me out. It's, it is exactly what Rebecca is facing or some variation of it where your mind becomes not your own anymore and you lose yourself that way. So when she says that, that is kind of giving a voice to the spookier thoughts that have rattled around in my brain. And I don't even have that diagnosis, but I've thought a lot about that particular way of checking out and it scares the shit out of me. Do you feel like they did it justice? Like, so seeing it on the screen, did, did it reflect your fears? This is uh, also going into our discussions that we've had in past podcasts about Mandy Moore's understated and under-recognized acting in this is, I just admitted that it scares the shit out of me. So if someone were to say, tomorrow, Paul, you have this memory issue that, you know, your body's going to live on, but Paul, as we know it, got a cap on it. My own personal delivery for a line like that would be like, calm down, man, get a hold of yourself. But where she's saying it to these people because she's already thought it, she's not exactly comfortable with it, but she's reconciled in some way where she can say it and she's not all excitable and she's not all, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not articulating like it well. owning it. You know, like this is, I guess that's a fair way to put it. What's going to happen to me. And you don't have to be embarrassed about having made a joke about it. You know, although man cringe when she, especially when Sally went back for a second explanation of exactly what stage of Alzheimer's she was making a joke about. You got to double like, down. Oh, it was like, oh no, what a terrible dinner. I felt like she's doing a brilliant job and, you know, kudos to the writers on finding a way to have her say these things even though both at the birthday party last week and this week, it seems to come out of the blue in a little bit of a way, you know, like, you know, she's always thinking about it, but then it'll sort of just go there, mm. you know, like she could have let it go and talk about it later just with Miguel, but, but she's like, nah, y'all brought it up. Now here we go. We're talking about it, you know, it's like everybody aboard the caboose <laughs> because we're having the train of this conversation right now. The whole experience with Sally was very unique for this show. We have not had an opportunity to have people talk about growing older, to talk about what it looks like, what it feels like, the things in society that you kind of dread dealing with. Mm -hmm. It deserves a voice. You know, we had some opportunity with, with Felicia Rashad on as Beth's mom. She talked about some stuff, you know, being alone in the house, all that kind of stuff, which I'm sorry, wasn't she moving in with them? She she did for a while. It got a little crowded, if you take my my meaning. So for both Beth and Randall. And so she went back. We thought for sure that was going to be the opportunity for them to bring in this conversation. I mean, I remember us having a lot of conversations about, oh, she's going to bring in this new generation. She's going to give Beth and probably Rebecca the opportunity to talk about things that are happening with women as we age and that kind of stuff. When she vacated, it was like, oh, <laughs> I guess we're not doing that. And we met William old. Yeah. And then still, even though he's talked a lot with Randall, 
again, it wasn't really societal age and all that stuff. Exactly. And, it, and it, as we mentioned in the last episode, it hasn't really been Rebecca's season. I gave Caroline air quotes, her season just yet. Mm-hmm. So we met her older, Yeah. but she's only ever been the fifth Pearson. Although the other ones don't have trifling stories, I think hers is the main story. Oh yeah, this, this time whole around. season. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, and to be fair, we haven't had a Pearson age to this level. You know, Jack checked out on us a long time ago and was much younger, wasn't worried about this stuff. Right. So for us to have an opportunity through sort of the Pearson lens to see, well, what is happening in 2022? What's going on in the world? How are women being treated? What what are what are you feeling like? I think it I think it was a unique episode in that regard. I was very surprised at how it ended because I felt like Sally and Nikki, like the only good and right ending was for them to be together. But that's not what we got. It's not what we got. And they didn't even like exchange like, you know, Instagrams or Facebooks or whatever. You know, it was more like That was as old as you could have possibly stated that, Paul. You're like the Facebook. The Facebooks. Yeah. <laughs> the gram or phone numbers or anything maybe that's all off-camera boring stuff but that wasn't like a stay in touch moment is what i mean to say what fascinated me is that because i had my sights on nikki and sally being together being married being a couple as the end game beep 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 beep, then (laughs) i was unprepared for nikki to be as satisfied as he was having seen Sally again. It's like he just needed to know that picture was on her corkboard. Well, maybe she didn't remember Nikki, the man. She remembered the moment and she remembered the inside of the van with him. And she remembered that man in there and all that stuff in a way that was like, that he had made a mark on her. He had made some memory impact, you know? Mm. That seemed to satisfy him enough to be like, I can go. Good enough for me. He didn't need to end up being with her. No. Which was fascinating. I didn't see that coming. I I didn't either. And I think you're right. It was an odd way to get there. But if Sally had been any different, it might not have been as satisfying. But the way that she was unafraid to talk about pretty much anything. Right. I don't think there's any element that was happy to see that she wasn't happy at her marriage. That I don't think that figures into it. Right. Except for, I think that for us viewers, I think it leaves the door open that, you know, in theory, as we were watching and once you found out she was unhappy with Eric, it felt like, well, wait a minute, maybe they, maybe they do get together. Like, I don't know. We don't, we don't know. It seems like they could bust at any time and maybe she is going to look up Nikki, you know? There were, and then, and they wove in a few elements to make it like, well, she didn't stay the, you know, free spirited flower child forever. In fact, they gave her one of the most, I want to use the word, sellout jobs that you can get, but I don't want to offend people that have this sellout job, but going from flower child to pharmaceutical company, that's, that's like corporate big, the big man kind of job, you know, like going to work for the big machine. Exactly. Exactly. That's all I mean to say. No, no, it doesn't matter. I think it just, just the idea that it's, it's a, you know, a large industry, corporate industry could have been anything down here in Texas. It would have been big oil, you know, it would have been anything. It doesn't matter, but you're right out where she lives out in California pharmaceuticals. They wove in that stuff. She lives in a big, nice house with this guy. We don't know what he does, but we assume that together they had some form of successful life. 
at least in terms of the outward material things that make you seem successful to other people, right? So, okay, we got all that. She's not exactly the girl that we left, but she still remembers me from that period, even though she doesn't have like the the laser etching I have in my brain. At least I made the cork board. So yeah, he can move on. At least that's what he got. He can move on. He seemed ready to move on too, which was exciting to me. The entire airplane scene, I had no idea where that was going, Paul. None at all. And you wove that in with the woman coming up on the steps and I'm I'm straining my eyes. I'm like, who is this? I'm running through anybody who I cannot remember. Just someone who's just like a small part. I'm like, is this Malik's mother? Because Deja's smiling so big at her i'm like thinking like who is this woman who who could this possibly be and you had asked is that deja's mom or maybe a relative of deja's we're trying to we're trying to go through the rolodex so to then see Edie's name tag on the flight attendant it was like what the what this episode was not what i was expecting given my prediction or our prediction last podcast about needing to put the pedal to the narrative metal so that we could cover a lot of ground, right? This was actually very personal. And, and kind of small. Young love and old love stories, right. which they take place in an afternoon. You Here's know? the thing though, Edie and Nikki and showing Edie at the end. And now you guys, I know you guys are going to see a scene with Edie and Nikki having a conversation with Rebecca on her deathbed. We are not privy to this. We we just got like, it was like a black card on the screen that just said there'll be a conversation here between these people. So we didn't see it. But what I can say is that that implies to me that Nikki and Edie are together, Yeah, you know? And so then in many ways, Nikki's storyline has come to close. So in some way, as much as it's like, well, I thought they were going to have to take these leaps and bounds to get us there. Well, look what they just did. Look what they just did with the tiniest flash forward moment. I mean, God, it lasted all of like a minute. And with a minute on an airplane, you you filled out the rest of his life. You know who he's with and you get their relationship. They're going to be salty banter back and forth. They're going to be sassy with each other. You already get it. You know her job. You know how they met. You get everything that's happening, which is so ironic. Because Remember how scared he was to fly? Right. Yeah. And so the fact that he would marry a flight attendant has got to be about the funniest thing, right? Like what a hilarious twosome. There's so much there that I think we got in just a tiniest little moment. That helps. You're right. They don't need a lot of more detailed Nikki time Mm-mm, because done. Yeah, you can pretty well put the dotted line for the next 10 years there. And he exited stage right. Like he literally was like, and I'm out. This was a wrap for him. I think he's gone. I understand we're going to see him in flash forwards, but I think we're done with him season Or six. progress of the of Kevin's house. Kevin's house for for Rebecca, because he's, right. he's supposed to be the on-site foreman. I heard for your right. meathead son. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> right. I was like, for reals? But again, you know what? Look at that, though, Paul. One sentence. One sentence. And now we know Kevin's building. Yeah. Right? We sat there and we were like, I don't know when he's going to go out there and build that thing. I don't know. And you're like, but it's all the way in Pennsylvania. One sentence. Answered it like, boop. <laughs> He is building, it is in Pennsylvania, and it's happening right now. Wow. Here we go. We are on the conveyor belt. This is Us Knows How to Do It, Paul. They just do. Well, looking forward to next week. Uh, Now I I don't even know how to make predictions No, I I don't. I don't. Maybe this next week will be about Eric and his second wife. We don't know. Well, I think they take 
Deja off the burner. Seems like it. it seems At like least for an episode. Be, I think so. Um, so. I feel like we're due who? Who time? We spent a long time with Kevin. Last if we're getting week. this as a four pack and they typically do that trick where they have like one day's events told from the big three's varying perspectives. Oh, like a one, a two, and a three? I don't think they're going to start that. It's not time yet. No. Okay. Because Fogelman obviously doesn't get a chance to say you have to move the Olympics, et cetera, et cetera. But still, man, I, I just don't see that happening where they'd start it, where we'd have to wait for that third one for a month or however long the Olympics is. I, I mean, I've only lived through like, what, 20 Olympics? I don't know how long <laughs> they are. Um. I think two weeks <laughs> seems right, but but no, I'm with you that that it does actually seem like five, six, seven is one, two, three. We have other narratives probably coming of all three or four big stories interweaving. Maybe I mean, are, are there other are there other Nikki's that we need? Well, Deja to- and Nikki were two outliers, right? Those were like the way outside. Okay, the, and then you know who we need to get some time with? No. Maybe Miguel. Maybe. Maybe we need some backstory stuff about Miguel. We did get some sprinkled in Miguel and Rebecca's wedding. You know, the fact that, you know, they had a salsa. Clearly, they, you know, she was joking about his vows were in Spanish. and also, I mean, we got some glimpses into that. I wonder if we'll get more of that. I don't know. I don't know if that was enough, if that's all we needed. There was a bizarre mix-up on our screener where they put in the wrong credits. Oh, yeah. Super, super weird. That implied that uh, there's going to be some Madison backstory. Yes. So Super weird. Now, they might have just swapped in credits from like... Three years ago. Yeah, the episode that did have a little bit of Madison backstory. Because that actually was the right time frame. Remember when her parents get divorced? It was like she was like eight or then there was like a 14-year-old with her dad. Like that was actually right on for those. I don't know. It was weird. It was credits that didn't make sense to what we watched. So go figure on that. But I mean, I think generally, I think we're clearing the decks though from the outside. Right. If mm-hmm. I feel like we're doing like PEMDAS, right? We're like, I like start with the parentheses working. Right? <laughs> and then we're going to get to like our final equation here. That's I, that's the extent of the math she knows. Hey, that's for me to make fun of, not you. <laughs> this is Caroline. This is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast or all of our Pod Clubhouse podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars helps us in the rankings and other people find our podcast too. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.